And today, we have a very special guest speaker. In September 1985, Dr. Sue Rubin left her home in Southern California and three grown children and headed up to Edmonton, Alberta, to start the very first church of religious science, now called, as we know, the Center for Spiritual Living Edmonton. After 10 years in Edmonton, during which time Sue led the manifestation of our own church facility here, the beautiful facility we sit in today, it was time for her to move into her expansion and growth, first to Hawaii and then to Southern California. Dr. Sue is currently speaking and teaching all over North America. Today we are honored and delighted to have her as our guest speaker. As you heard earlier, she will also be participating in our 30th celebration this Friday and providing a workshop you will not want to miss. Please give Dr. Sue a warm homecoming welcome as she speaks today on the best of what is. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, everyone. I couldn't begin to describe the feelings, the immensity of coming home, because that's what it really feels like. So I honor and celebrate the work that continues to simply unfold because of a principle. People come and people go, and yet the principle that undergirds it, that was the origin of why we're all here, is something very special. So, where to begin? How did this nice Jewish girl from New York end up from New York, California, that I can understand. But then, Edmonton, I studied with a teacher I wonder how many of you are familiar with through his books and through the remarkable work he did. Dr. Tom Johnson, that is, Tom is somewhere at that next dimension of life, and he is shocked and appalled that no one remembers him, at least not in this immediacy. If he were Jewish, he'd be saying, hoy vey. <laughs> so Dr. Tom was, when I came into the movement, I came into the science of mind at that time, it was strictly religious science, and we were studying the science of mind. Religious Science International was the organization, one of them. There was another one teaching the science of mind that was called United Churches of Religious Science. I just happened because I heard a speaker and I knew that was the speaker for me, was Dr. Tom. And he was an eloquent, well-dressed, handsome, prolific author. He wrote so many books just for your own interest. Just explore it one day. And his approach was no monkey business. He came from what is called the absolutist school, and we know the difference between the absolute and the relative is the absolute absolutely, without any argument, without any refuting, without any debate, without any conversation, simply knows God is, I am. Would you say that with me? God is, I am. And that was the end of the discussion. At that time, there were many people who were not convinced that was the approach to follow. And as a result of that, I discovered there's another way also. And we know the three steps of treatment. Yes? We know the five steps of treatment. Yes? Do you know the seven step? But do you know the tango? <laughs> so, if I would write something for Creative Thought magazine when it was still in existence, I would find myself confronting my own subconscious mind and some of the resistance and some of the fears that existed there that were contrary to what I was declaring when I said, God is, I am. You know, that sign of the cross, first of all, this is the signing for God. And yet I thought, every time I do that, God is, and I'm affirming the divinity that extends above my head up into the heavens and up through and beyond, as well as down beyond the ground I'm standing on into the earth, and it's further into infinity. And when I stretch my arms out, that's my expression. 
So God is and I am is simply saying the spiritual nature of who I am is exactly what I express through everything I think, say, feel, and do. So in any case, I would write a treatment for Creative Thought magazine, and perhaps it would sound like this. Let's say it was a treatment for health. God is the one and only wholeness there is, and God and I are one. There is no longer any pattern in my subconscious mind to deny or resist, and he would stop me. It's like, no, 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 stay with. There is one power, it is the wholeness of life, it is right where I am, and it is clearly demonstrating itself through every cell and atom of my precious living temple, my body of God. And so that were the absolutists. Those were the days when all of the ministers who came into prominence had been students, perhaps, of Ernest Holmes himself, of his brother Fenwick, of a man named Craig Carter. Anybody? Craig Carter? Carlton Whitehead? I'm just going to keep my doing this until somebody, a lot of hands come up. Okay. Um, Kennedy Schultz? Aha, we're getting there. Um, J. Scott Neal, who is presently with us, he's the pastor uh, in Fremont, California. And so those were names that are standing on the shoulders of people like Emma Curtis Hopkins, Mary Baker Eddy, what a feisty woman she was. An aunt of mine was a Christian science practitioner, but of course in my years of growing up, I didn't get it why she kept proselytizing and bringing pamphlets about this strange information that there is one mind, one truth, one life, one substance, one intelligence, and all else is matter, which is of insignificance. And well, I couldn't quite ignore the fact that matter, form, people, places, and things exist, and yet we all exist to describe God in human form. So there I was studying, and studying and taking classes and retaking classes. One of my other teachers just recently made his trans transition. I was just going to say he made his transmission. <laughs> <laughs> he could have done that too, who knows. Dr. Leo Fishbeck, he was a great teacher. He was very much into the following of the theory that Ernest Holmes had once described, that science of mind is really the psychology of mind and spirit. And so I studied and I studied, and Dr. Tom, who was the minister of the church I attended in California, kept moving me, opening doors that I was very happy. I had my life, I had my, my kids, that were on their way to leaving. My two older kids were moving out of the house, and I had just my youngest at home, and I was in business with the man I was also involved in relationship with. It's like, take this on, no, I'll take another class and another one. But before you know it, I found myself on the board and filling in for Tom on a Sunday morning and teaching, and suddenly this became more real. So if the best that was is everything I had done up to that point, everything that you've done up to the point where you are is the best we've known. You know, in the recovery programs, they say, you know, what's going on in your life now represents your best thinking up to this point. So if indeed this circulating, ongoing flow of mind is never static, mind is ever on the move, ever on the go, and the only thing that is reason and explanation for why we don't always seem to be moving, as I wasn't, I was just study, I was the perennial student. There was no necessity or urgency to go anywhere to do anything different than what I was doing. The other important factor, and particularly on this day, Happy Father's Day! Yeah. Lest we forget. But all the dads in this beautiful sanctuary rise so we can salute and support you. Come on, Dad, stand up. Happy Father's Day. Good. You know, and it's a day that, that honors the fathers 
and the sons who will become fathers and the fathers that we had. In the native tradition, it's often talked about that it's wonderful to honor and celebrate yourself and the current generation and know the impact that what we do has on all civilization as we know it today. But in the native tradition, it is said that we impact and therefore need to be really mindful of how we are impacting life around us because it has that profound effect on seven generations forward. Thank you. This is my gin that I requested. L'chaim. <laughs> so imagine if what I do today is, is in my small microcosmic world, just the evidence that I'm looking at. What happens if I really take seriously and into consideration the ripple, the ripple that I send forth, that you send forth every time we issue a word, a thought, an unspoken energy or feeling that oftentimes is stronger than the energy of that movement. So, anyway, my dad was still alive. He was the only one of my parents that was, and I was the only one of his children that was alive. And so he was in a nursing home right in my area because he had certain physical needs. And so I would say to Dr. Tom, I would say, I'm not going anywhere, you know, my dad is here and I'm in business and uh, my kids are, you know, still of an age where they want to know their mama's around, particularly I have one living at home, my youngest, 19. And so Tom would shake his head and he would say, God is, period. And I thought, what is he adding to that? secretly, silently, and I had the vision. God is moving Sue upward, onward, and forward, and out, out. And so, this was the exact sequence of events that transpired, I would say, within three months. My dad died. The business that I was involved in went defunct, and the relationship with the man that I was with in the business went defunct. And so Tom asked if I would like to come see him one day, and I said yes. And he said, so, any other excuses you have left? <laughs> and I said, no. And so I put my name into, and here's another name, very much alive and well, Dr. Frank Richelieu. Dr. Frank Richelieu and Anita, his wife, um, just had a and still there is a beautiful church of religious science in uh, Redondo Beach, California. So Dr. Frank Richelieu was the gentleman who was in charge of placement and candidating for new ministers who wanted to explore having a church or replacing a minister who had left one. And so he and I connected, and he said, well, all I know is we met a great group of people down in Calgary. Arnie, were you at that Calgary um, uh, conference for the first time it was in Canada? And so the people from Edmonton who went to Calgary liked what they saw. Their minister of two years uh, that had founded this original Center for Self-Awareness Anybody here from Center for Self-Awareness Days? Yeah. And so, hi, Hank. And so, they said, we'll affiliate. Originally, it was an independent work here at the center. We'll affiliate. They're, by connecting the dots, I show up, and it's like, yeah, we have one place available, Dr. Frank says, um, a work of an independent, originally an independent New Thought Center, and now they want to affiliate with religious science. Great, I said, and they're looking for people to candidate, try out for the job. So I said, and where might that be, please? And uh, Frank said, in Edmonton. And I said, where in California is that? 
<laughs> Literally, I shamefully admit I was clueless. However, as the story unfolded, I thought, why not? They're paying my way to come up and candidate and speak and explore. And I came up, and Arnie Paulson's wife, Gerd, met me at the airport. And I was teasing her before I got there. I said, well, we never met, so why don't you wear like a red rose in your lapel or something? And darned if she didn't show up with one. <laughs> so the story unfolds, and I cannot ever, to this day, logically explain why when I left here that Labor Day weekend in 1985, I knew, sitting on the plane, that if I were invited to come here, I would. And all the while, there wasn't even a space for that other, are you crazy, what are you talking about? Leave Southern California. It wasn't there, there was just... You felt it, I know you have felt it, that certainty, that calm, that acceptance, that simply is a great universal yes. Got home from the airport, no sooner did I get into the house, now Dr. Heather Clark called. Heather had at that time been the president of the board, the music director, everything you can imagine she was, she was involved in. And she called and she said, we would like very much to offer you the position to be our minister of the First Church of Religious Science, Edmonton. And then the ego mind clicked in. I said, I'll have to think about it, Heather. I'll get back to you. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? I know what I know what I know. I'm convinced there is nothing to dissuade me. And then it's like, well, yeah, but we'll get to it. So that was the beginning of what was to become in every instant for all of us the next best thing, which is the best thing that can be because it's happening. You know, people will often say, well, how do I know? You know because your effect is showing you and all it's really showing you is the opportunity to get back to center, to know that amidst my human swirl of emotions, of fear and anxiety and, and apprehension and pressure and tension and unforgiveness and anger and resentment and the harshness of life, there's something I can always go to. So with me, would you again declare, God is, I am. And that's the salvation using old traditional religious terminology. That is salvation. That is redemption. That is the resurrection of all the lesser states of our being. And so the journey started. We, at that time, we traveled for our Sunday meetings. We were church in a suitcase. And we were first at the um, <laughs> Saxony Hotel. Saxony Hotel. So picture that. You walk in on a Sunday morning filled with the light of the divine and all you see are cigarette butts and you smell them and chairs are upturned and it's just like, I am parting the waters and I walk in God. And it really happened that way because we met in a lovely room on the second floor. Remember, it was like surrounded by light it was it's like a different world, which symbolically wasn't it. It was a different level of consciousness. And so that was the beginning. And after the Savoy, we ended up at um, Lister Hall at the university on a very short-term contract. And we were scratching for another place. And it wasn't demonstrating. And we would pray and treat at that time, much wasn't said about visioning. Anybody do any visioning around here? Yeah, I bet. And so we, we were getting a little anxious because it was time for me to go to the annual conference of religious sciences in the Silmar in Pacific Grove, California. And it's like, well, what are you going to do, Reverend Sue? 
Like, I'm going. I trust that everybody here is the same expression of God that I am, and it uniquely demonstrates in a new place. We ended up at the... I went to Asilomar, and space was, was contracted at the Lions Senior Citizen Center. So, how many of you go back to those days? Any time between 85 and 95? Happy to see you. Now, how many of you came, like, from 95 to 25? When anybody here when Reverend Kay Patrick was here? Because she followed me, and then in Patrick came after that. And how many of you just came around the time that Patrick came? Great, great. So you can see the next best thing, each person, each place, each circumstance, each time you meditate, each time you take a phrase from either the science of mind or any other sacred writing. And I consider the sacredness of the science of mind. That man is, remains a prolific author. There are so many of his other books that it's truly capturing the essence of how the man Ernest Holmes could give you the clear principles of the science of mind, sometimes with such a scientific use of language that you would wonder, is this something I'll ever comprehend? And then if you just flip to the end of the book where he has meditations for self-help, Gorgeous, beautiful, the mystic comes out. And that's all of us. The intellect, in fact, is that which is honored as the masculine on Father's Day. And that is the more assertive, active, and yet protective of something that wants to occur that is indicative of strength and clarity and rational thinking. It's very interesting that on Thursday, the day before I was leaving for Edmonton, uh, my ex-husband and the father of my three children made his transition. And it's been a time of upheaval because we, we were married for over 20 years. And when I met him, I was a kid and he was a kid. So I knew a portion of his life that his present wife never got to discover, and they never had any children together. So what I discovered, he became not only a friend and father to our kids and that common point of meeting amicably and respectfully and warmly, but in the year 2000, he became my travel agent. He was a salesman. I keep thinking of Phil in that way. Uh, yep, the death of a salesman. But one thing I... Really, this is true. He was um, a boy from the Bronx, New York. When I first met him, literally, he was wearing a zoot suit, chains, and... Oh, I mean, what more can I tell you? I was captivated. <laughs> um, Lord. He was determined. He was persistent. He knew what he wanted, and he was hell-bent on getting it. And so that was the same ideal, the same quality and characteristic that led him into selling. Selling was his thing, whether it was real estate, trade journals, or ultimately travel, that was it. So he made the perfect travel agent for me plus which he got money for sending me away. What could be better? <laughs> so, somebody better tell me about time, because otherwise we're here till the next millennial. <laughs> so would somebody tell me, like, give me five? Give me five. Come on, guys. God is. Come on. God is. Say it. God is. So, Bill, can you do that for me? Or tell me if I only have two minutes left? and you'll just have to stay for the second service. I work with everything that happens. That's the best. In any case, Phil, all his life over the long haul, has been healthy and dynamic and active. That man, as long as I know him, if he's traveling or on the road doing his business, 
He still goes to a gym, any gym, for the, these last years of his life, to gym every day. About two months ago, uh, it was determined out of just this seeming apparent uprising of physical symptoms, he was diagnosed with an inoperable and untreatable cancer. He went for one opinion that was directly after he was diagnosed. He went for a second opinion two weeks ago, and it was confirmed that there was nothing that could be done. This man died a week later. And what I'm proving by that to myself is the most fundamental characteristic of our nature, of our personality, dominates. If it's God, if it's spirit, if it's matters of truth, which weren't so for him, he was a pragmatist. And so he knew what he wanted. He made up his mind, I will not suffer. If this is the way it's going to be, I am not hanging around. And so in his own quiet, silent way, he communicated from his soul that as far as he's concerned, he had a fabulous life. Being a travel agent, he and his wife traveled the world over these many years. And so he did it in an interesting way. First, he was very articulate when he first discovered and very emotional with his children and with me too. And then the last week, he withdrew because everyone at that point was saying, eat, drink, come on, you know, people intrude upon the most sacred journey of all and that's how we make our transition. And so he withdrew. He would not talk to anyone. He just didn't want to hear what was contrary to what he, as that father mentality, the aggressive permanency of what I want, I will achieve. I always have and I continue to demonstrate my persistence and my determination. And so that was the way he had to do it. Is that five minutes? Yes? Or one minute? <laughs> five minutes, okay. So he had to do what he had to do, and the, the withdrawing, but when my kids, by this time, everything that he had determined, mind, you know, instructs body. And the moment his mind said, I'm on to the next step, whatever it is, I'm leaving here, body took him at his word and started shutting down. And so he, however, did have the capacity when my kids were sitting with him, you know, I love you, Dad, and he would squeeze their hand, but probably went into silent meditation in his own pragmatic way so that he could leave promptly. And so I bid him a fond, warm, loving, appreciative farewell. Here's looking at you, Phil. That requires a drink. Chaim. <laughs> So the next best thing, the purchase of the building, when did we buy this? In 1988? I think we did. And I can remember standing up here after the, the loans were pretty much in place, but we were short on our down payment, remember? And so I just got up after the Sunday service and I flirted with the issue that we needed X amount of dollars, I don't remember how much we need it. But I said, you know, we really seem to be stymied because at the moment we don't have this X amount of dollars, which is all it would take to get final approval on the loan and call it a divine done deal. And so somebody, I heard a voice say, so are you asking for money now? And I said, yep. And so, Money started. I was stuffing money in my bra. I was, it's like, geez, I could make a fast getaway here. And the need was met. The declaration once made will always be met by that creative intelligence, that one divine law that saw all of the movement of all of the people who were involved in providing access to this divine intelligence through their own minds, bodies, and souls so that the universe could expand by means of us, not just our little slice of what we describe as reality with a small r, but rather the universe in its eternal, absolute 
reality with the capital R could be described by means of us. There's a uh, quotation that I love. It's not a quote, I don't know, he just kind of said it in a writing, Ernest Holmes. And he said, God within us recognizes itself as everything we are. God within us recognizes itself. It comes alive in order to experience itself through everything we are, everything we do, everywhere we ever go, whatever our contemplations are. That's how the universe was formed. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You speak your word. You declare with a clarity, a purity, a kindness, a acceptance and a clear inner knowing that God is I am. I had obstacles galore coming into Edmonton with immigration. Once I made up my mind and gave my agreement to be here, I had been here in September. I must have been in a fantasy. I said, sure, I'll get immigration and all that together by October 1st. Oh, definitely. Didn't happen, but I headed here anyway. So you'll find more out about that on Friday night. So to me, that always reminds me, know who you are, be convinced of it, and keep that energy in sync with what you feel in your heart. Because you can't have a feeling up here vibrating, God is, I am, and all is clear and free in me as health and wealth and happiness and joy. And then down here, it's like, mm, well, I'm not too sure about that. What about what you did then? What about how that didn't happen? These have got to be in sync, linked together inseparably, that my thoughts are my feelings, my masculine nature, that assertive, clear, rational thinking mind completely matches in with the lover of its soul. That's the mystical marriage. That's what pops out the next best thing, which was, is right now. Every step in the evolution of my comings and goings and all of the people who were involved at that time, their comings and goings, and then the cessation of that as each one goes on to fulfill their own innermost desire. It's all here and it's all now. And so everything that is going on in your world, everything that you're celebrating, everything that you're disclaiming as, how did that happen? All from one cause, consciousness. Either I'm purely aware that God is, I am, or it's like God is, and mm, not too sure. So there's more to be known and to be shared. So right here and right now, I would just say, and that's the way it really is. That means I'm done. <laughs> uh, do we have music? Music now? Music? Today we are honored and delighted to have her as our guest speaker. Please give Dr. Sue a warm homecoming welcome as she speaks today, the next best thing. Good morning, Edmonton. Very good to be here. I feel like it's like, all right, here I am. You know, what else is new? But everything is new, and so it's a great joy to, to come home, to come home and have all of the reflections just bouncing off the walls of times and places and people and ideas shared and so much that words can't begin to describe. God blesses you through you by means of you as you. Imagine if people like traveling and buses sneezed and they had to hear that whole thing. It would be good. It would be good. They may think it's strange, but it would be good. L'chaim. So the first service was that what was happening now was the best thing that had preceded it and that accounted for it in present-day living. And the history of this church, how many of you know anything really about it? You know, like who came and did what, when, where in 1985? Oh, so I can make up the rest of it? You would know the difference. 
So I came from Portugal to begin with. No, just kidding. I didn't. It's too. It, Somebody should be doing archives so that the whole story of it, about how the minister who agreed to be here, which is me, couldn't get into the country because she had no papers, because by the time I came, he had, this was not formally registered or chartered as a religious science church, therefore invalid. I knew that coming up, but I took my chances. Immigration said, we wouldn't do that if you... You were, we were you. And I said, well, how nice, you're not me. <laughs> the other part is I was pawning myself off as a minister. As yet, I hadn't been installed or recognized as such. So here's this woman I drove up with my daughter in September and um, in October. Already there was snow and the, the foreboding feeling like, oh my God, this is only October. What's going <laughs> Yikes. And so I was not a minister, and there was no church officially. Um, that was in October, so they, they refused me entry. And I suggested, well, what would happen if I go out the applying for residency or whatever, and I simply come in as a visitor? You couldn't stop me. Got my passport, I got my... So I came in as a visitor with the stipulation that I would have everything approved and I would be able to stay. And meanwhile, I had to leave the country because they were... It's too elaborate. They, anyway, I came in for a very minimum period of time, and I had to go before an adjudicating fellow who made the rounds periodically. So I ended up being holed up in Shelby, Montana, and uh, waited until the judge came. You remember, is Jack Bannerman still around? Does anybody know? Do you remember Jack Bannerman? He is? So Jack Bannerman came up one night from Edmonton to Shelby and took me to dinner. And so we went before the judge, but in the interim, people like the Paulsons and the Cluches, anybody, Ron, Judy, I think their granddaughter is, where is she? Is she here? Oh, okay. Um, and Heather, I, they chipped in and they hired a, a, an immigration lawyer for me. And we all met at the day the judge appeared, and he gave me um, stipulations. I could stay, but every year I would have to renew. How many times I stood every year on Jasper Avenue at four in the morning, waiting to get in, and they would, religious science? What is that? What kind of a cult is that exactly? <laughs> So, the power of an idea that is in its universal spin wants something greater to emerge. So regardless of your and my subjective emotional resistance, fear, anxiety, apprehension, I want to but I don't want to, that's what I was dealing with. I had given my full agreement to being here and I knew it was the perfect thing for me to be doing at this time of my life, and yet that other part, churning, this is like sizzling at high frequencies of vibration, let's say, and meanwhile down here it's like, mm, no, you know, you can't do this, what is this all about? And so if there's a conflict, the universal mind has only one alternative, and that is to create an evidential picture of conflict, which is where I met immigration was my meeting point of saying yes and no. And you can't be double-minded. You can't speak, as the Bible says so often, saying yay and yet acting nay. It's got to be a greater vision. It is said that uh, Moses was led to the top of a mountain peak by the divine spirit. And he was told that as far as your eyes and your heart can vision, that's the ground upon which your feet will trod. So I was seeing this broad vista of what was possible to bring the teaching I adored into living action and experience, which would be something comparatively new. I know that the Life Enrichment Center had been here teaching new thought. I remember 
uh, meeting Jackie and Bob Darby when I came up. So the foundation for what was then and still referred to as New Thought, that broad metaphysical umbrella, was, was there. It was just now the bodies, the minds, the willing hearts and spaces in which to create an actual venue through which people can show up and enjoy the spirit. So one thing did lead to another. Finally, the church was officially charted and Dr. Carlton Whitehead, who was the president of Religious Science Organization, our governing body at that time, signed, sealed, and delivered. And in December, my beloved teacher, Dr. Tom Johnson, came up and installed me. And um, where did we meet? Where was that installation? We were downstairs in a basement somewhere. I remember that, and I remember one of the members of the congregation gave me a handmade, gorgeous, warm, heavy, winter coat. Because, you know, I'm here. I came up in December like this. Hello, I'm here. No, not really. Anyway, it was most auspicious an occasion, and all was finally signed, sealed, and delivered. So the progressive unfoldment of how mind really works, I think, is captured by a quotation from Judge Thomas Troard. Anybody? Troard? No Troard? Well, some Troardies. Okay. So Judge Thomas Troard was one of the two people who most strongly uh, was in the influence on Ernest Holmes. The other was Ralph Waldo Emerson, as well as all the other. Eastern teachers, Sri Aurobindo, all of East and West, ancient wisdom, was the thing that captured the heart, the mind, and the soul of Ernest Holmes. And Judge Thomas Troward was a judge, but he, at uh, one point in his life, went to India, and therefore himself started absorbing the Eastern traditions and teachings, and particularly Hinduism. And so he wrote, of course, a couple of wonderful books, the Edinburgh Lectures and the Dory Lectures, the creative process in the individual is great. And here's a quotation which describes not only the best of what was, is, because it's all a progressive unfoldment, but the next best thing is something that is determined out of, but not limited by what has preceded it. So here we go, Judge Thomas Troyd. My mind is a center of divine operation. And that's an affirmation each of us declares for ourselves. My mind. Let's say that together. My mind is a center of divine operation. The divine operation is always for expansion. What's the divine operation always for? Expansion. And fuller expression. Expansion and fuller expression are all the action of divine mind moving through me for fuller expression and expansion. This means, you know, Troy is famous for like never-ending sentences. <laughs> on and on and on. Okay, this means the production of something beyond what has gone before. Therefore, the next best thing, something that is already poised, complete in its entirety, in universal mind, has to emerge because life is a continuum. You know, you and I look at our lives, and here's the condition of my body, and here's my relationships, and here's money matters, and then there's that creative expression of myself. And we sometimes compartmentalize it without realizing it's all as much of the whole as I can engage in and embrace, embody, and identify with within myself. In the first service, we have a, a take home with you kind of a thing, and I'm sure you've heard it or seen it before. But to acknowledge that my mind is a divine operation, and that it's always about fuller expression and expansion, we start by using what is actually the signing 
way of identifying God. That's it in signing, that straight vertical line that you're really freeing to expand from above to the depth below and beyond throughout infinity. So we're saying God is. And just as the cross is a symbol, a metaphor, the cross line is the indication that I am. God is that which I know in the secret places of the depth of my being. And if God is, and God and I are one, then I am in my expression, in the ways I take the vertical divinity and express it in my horizontal physicality. Gee, I wonder if that means get to bed earlier. Yeah, and go deeper into meditation so that I am really carrying with me the realization that this is divine mind, spirit, God, Buddha nature, Atman, Brahma, Emmanuel, whatever you want to call it. It's the recognition to our own self of the self with the big S that we are. And the I am is simply our expression. So Troy went on to say, do a recap. This is probably the best quote that best describes the creative process. My mind is the center of, what is it a center of? Divine operation, and divine operation always is designed for expansion and fuller expression, and this means the production of something beyond what has gone before. So whatever happened when this lady came up from Southern California, in 1985, and proceeded to stay. You know, the building is one thing that one could point to as, as tangible evidence of a principle, an unlimited principle that was embraced. But I think far more important to note is there are two other centers for spiritual living that evolved out of my being here and having the privilege of being teacher to Tim Peterson, over at the Center for Spiritual Living Metro, and also J.J. Grzyuk, who has her center here in Edmonton. So there were three centers in Edmonton that were the, the seeds planted and that emerged. I think that's a pretty spectacular thing to say nothing of the growth of the movement. The only thing that existed in 1985 was Calgary, where Herman Aftank, anybody? Herman Aftank had started it, and then it became a science of mind center, a religious science church. And now, throughout Vancouver and Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in fact, someone who lives here part-time just became the minister in Saskatoon. Carmian Owen? Yes. He's, he's now in Saskatoon. I mean, these are the things. It's where did the people go and take this teaching, a building, is a building. It still represents something far more powerful, which is the idea that spawned it, the dedication, the commitment, the ideal that was held up before someone's consciousness, and it's always up for grabs. Do I accept it or do I not? Okay. So there's fuller expression and there's expansion, and it evolves out of what has happened before, but it's not limited by what happened before. Something entirely new that is not included in past experience, though it proceeds out of it. So the next best thing for this center, isn't that exciting? I need to drink to that. <laughs> Look, I am. So, there's something that is calling from the past, from that which was embodied as a living idea, God is, I am. One power, one life, one intelligence, forever expanding in and through and as myself and all of life. And yet what I'm doing now and proceed to do tomorrow, it has to be something greater. It cannot replicate or duplicate what was, because what was has already been, and what shall be is born out of what is. Let's say that together, just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, so it proceeds out of what happened before, but it is not included, this new thing. And it does so by an orderly sequence of growth. So you know the times that, okay, 
my health or my relationships, my work, my money situation, um, my faith as an individualized expression of God. Sometimes it wavers in the face of difficulties. So what do I do with all that? How do I continue to consistently stand firm when I know things around me, people, places, and things change? You may have some of the people in your life now that you originally had, you may not, because it is the natural tendency of the one to give form to the multiplicity through an ideal that becomes whatever you and I declare it to be, wherever you choose to go, that decider, besides which it's that conscious mind, and besides which that, I need to say Happy Father's Day to everybody at the service today. Happy Father's Day, Daddy. <laughs> you know, there was a, um, a wonderful other teacher, I'll run the name by you. Helen, what was Helen's last name? Hel oh, Helen Street, anybody? Oh my God, she was a dynamo. She would, would always um, be battling the body weight, so sometimes she was heavier and sometimes she, she was a little bit thinner. And when she was at her heaviest one year at our annual Asilomar conference in Pacific Grove, California, she was big and beautiful and she wore the brightest red dress I have ever in my life seen. And she just stomped on stage and she said, well, if you can't hide it, you may as well flaunt it. <laughs> but anyway, Helen used to treat like a gorgeous warrior woman that she was. And she used to call God, my big daddy, my big daddy is God. You may think he's in the sky, but mm -mm, he's right here where I am. She was great. Here's to Helen Street, another one you can check online. I mean, there's such richness in the original teachers, I can't begin to describe it, like Tommy. I know him well, so I call him Tommy. Um, so, we've got something new that wants to emerge out of something that was created previously and yet not limited. It needs to be something new because the divine cannot change its inherent nature. It must operate in the same manner in me as it does on all planes. You know, the spiritual statement is that life operates on the same essential fundamental basis on all planes of living, physical, mental, emotional, astral, whatever those levels are that we can see beyond our physical gaze. Therefore, something that is moving the universe is the same life force, energy, creative intelligence, wisdom, presence, and power of love that is the impetus for everything new that does want to happen. So it's operating in me, consequently in my special world of which I am the center. I am a center of divine mind and operation. Within me, I am the center and this certain something will move forward to produce new conditions always in advance of any that have happened before. So what do you want to happen that has never happened before that provides a new outlet, a new space through which God can burst forth by means of you? It's something there. And does it have to do with a place, an organization, a church, a business? No, it really doesn't. That's the manifestation of whatever you're choosing to identify with. I have a firm belief that everything really traces itself back to self-identity. It's how I perceive myself. What I really feel and think when the lights go out, and I'm alone, and all there is, is the self that I am, then is that authentic? Is it pure? Mary Baker Eddy used to say, you have four questions to ask yourself before you really do anything about anything. It's number one, am I honest? Number two, am I pure? Number three, 
Am I meticulous in being congruent with what I say and what I do and what I think and how I feel? Is everything encompassed in that wholeness? And the other one is, am I merciful? Interesting word, which we don't hear too much in our today experience. But am I merciful? Do I cast that warm blanket of mercy and compassion and loving kindness upon myself and all? You know, the, the United States is seeing such evidence of inner turmoil and anger and tensions that show up racially, North Carolina, Charleston, and the, the pain and struggle. And if you go on the Centers for Spiritual Living org website, you can find and capture for your deepening realization of who you are, some of the, the teachers like Dr. Ken Gordon, who's the spiritual leader of Centers for Spiritual Living, some beautiful responses to what's happening from a spiritual point of view that focuses on the science of mind. So there's much in our physical world we can always point to that can cause dismay and disappointment and pain and sadness and fear and anger and limitation, be it of money or of, of people, sociability. There's so much loneliness. There's all of that. And really, the way out is always the way in. Because the, the Christ said it so long ago, in the world you will have tribulation, but I am not of this world. I am in it, but I'm not of it. That regardless of what's been going on, I shared at the first service, being Father Day, Father's Day, it's particularly pertinent that my ex-husband, who I've known since we were both kids, I met him when he was 20 years old, and we married a couple of years after that, and were married for 20 years, and although we, we parted at that juncture, we have three children together, and remained friends at a respectful distance as he went about his new life and his new wife. And the bottom line is, he just made his transition on a Thursday, the day before I came up here. And he did it with truly the father-masculine aspect of his nature very much in control. Because when he was diagnosed with untreatable cancer, and there was nothing to do, and he had gotten his second opinions, when all of that came into finality, he made up his mind, and he made his transition a week later. There was no way he was going to hang out. So that masculine mentality with which we direct mind, that is what gives the thrust, the flow of that creative energy and the direction in which it goes is strictly based on that conscious, rational, thinking, assertive, clear, judging, deciding, analytical mind which says, here's what I want. What do I want from my spiritual community? Given it's got a history, given there are people teaching it out in the world who started here, given all of what is available right in this community, the broader community of Edmonton, what is there within me that can become so determined that mind has no alternative, that divine operation in which I am centered, anchored, rooted, and forever in oneness with, that's what I give momentum to. I declare, and I don't let the waffling and the wobbly and the what if and what about this, what about that, are you sure that's too much work? Ah, you're too old, come on, give it a rest. What are you thinking? All of that. Don't tell me that there's not a registry point at which we can all point to it. And I just read something that says, and spiritual truth, a faith tradition, is not in any way, shape, or form designed for us to experience spiritual bypass. Did you ever hear that term? Spiritual bypass, where, oh, if God is all there is and God and I are one and all is good and fine and true and real and wonderful and rich and happy and loving, life is great. When I'm a mess with a bunch of unmet needs emotionally, 
suppressed feelings, and unresolved issues, spirituality is not designed to keep any of us from working on our stuff. I would say another word, but it's not polite. You gotta work on your stuff and use the spiritual principle to take you there, to form the clearing, the purifying, the cleansing, the freeing. How many minutes did I pass already? Bill, give me a, a hand, because this time I know where the clock is. How many minutes do, would you like me to wind this up in? How many? Seven. 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 Oh, good. All right. Just warming up here. <laughs> oh, man, life is good. So, if indeed I'm sitting, I think sometimes we're sitting on a powder keg of interior magnificence that it's almost frightening. Remember that classic statement, first it was attributed to Marianne Williamson, which it was, and then Nelson Mandela, you know, about we're not afraid of the dark. What are we afraid of? The light. The light that we discover when we become totally committed, our lives are dedicated in sacred covenant to living and practicing the presence of God. Well, my kids delighted, even though they were grown, but my one son was still living at home, 19 years old. And I'm like, kids usually use leave home, honey, but this time mom's leaving home. You don't think that that affected something somewhere within me, just walking away? But something stronger was that voice of insistence that said, it's going to be okay. And in truth, it was. My youngest son rose to the occasion, stayed in our condo, and suddenly took on responsibilities he wouldn't have had if it hadn't been for this opportunity for me to get out of Texas. No, that was California. Just kidding. <laughs> so, the next best thing is we grow consciousness. I understand your theme for the year is what do we... Did you do only one thing. You grow yourself. There is nothing other than consciousness. Life is consciousness. Everything I have ever seen, felt, touched with my five senses originated because of my interior senses that matched. The God presence, the universal power through me, wanted to see out into a life that had form, that had an energetic mass to it in order to enjoy itself. Therefore, we were given eyes. We were given the opportunity through that God presence to savor the sounds of life that was the first impulse, to hear all of the sounds of life. Therefore came the ear. So inner senses, divine senses, spiritual senses, however you want to refer to them, are what give rise to everything we get to enjoy in our physical world of tasting and touching and feeling. So the next best thing for what happens here and what to do, where is that going, how can we make it greater than it's ever been, and yet not limited by the past, although something of a thread is pulling each and every one, individually and collectively, forward. The visioning process is quite wonderful. It came into prominence through the actions of uh, Dr. Reverend Michael Beckwith, who, um, if you haven't live, anybody ever live stream him? Oh my goodness, he's a powerhouse. I attended a service of his about a month ago, and after his dynamic, you know, he, he's not a quiet guy, let's face it. He's got a lot of energy going. So I kid you not, after he said the last words of his service, he got down on the floor and did push-ups. It was like that energy had to be converted into physical form, the voice gave it one level of energy. So he just was, carry on, play the music, it's okay. I'm fine, ooh, this feels good. And there he is, he must have done 25, 30, who knows. So, all forms of expression, something new. I'm sure he wasn't doing that 20 years ago, but maybe he was, at that time, standing on his head, who knows. But there is a continuity. You cannot divorce 
what is happening now from its origin way back then and before then. It's, for me, it's a matter of connecting the dots that there isn't this compartmentalization about the money and, and the love. I was going to say sex, so I'll say it. The money, the sex, the power, uh, the creativity, all of that, it's all connecting. What I'm doing in one part of my life, I'm doing it everywhere. The motivation, the interior impulse that drives the inclination for me to do anything comes from either that clear God is, I am, or else it comes from I'm not quite certain who or what God is, and therefore I'm kind of waffling on who I am. So I love the visioning process that Michael brought to prominence because it takes the next step from visualization. We've all done the, the vision boards and all of that which was done from a mental awareness that I can in some way manipulate the energy of creation by what I'm thinking, believing, and doing. So if I'm doing that, Michael brought forth this vision where it's not me thinking, intellectualizing, using my intellect, my human capacity, but rather I'm going into meditative, quiet, prayerful states that allow for, what's the divine idea about my life? Did you ever just daily ask yourself, what's the divine idea for my life? This is what I think. I think I have to go here. I have to do this. I have to pay attention to that. And then I'll pick up. No. If I go, shh, quiet down. And if indeed I am still, and I know God is, revealing what it wants to accomplish in experience today by means of me, the outlook, the outpour, the result, the effect is completely different. And yet I'm still using my oneness with divine mind, taking from what was and yet integrating in some hidden wondrous way what it was, but not limited by what physically happened and taking it forward into the next step. So I know that what the world needs now is love, quote unquote, and yet it needs it to come forth from conscience, conscious sentient beings who know the business of the divine is what they are about. So that self-identity is simply boiled down to this. What comes next is determined on whether you see and perceive yourself as a human, expressing the divine, or the divine expressing as the human. That's self-identity. That's where the next best thing evolves out of the best that was, is, and the greater that is yet to be. And that's the way it really is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. So what are we doing now? Song? Oh, just what we need. Thank you.